0: Namo dhasa bhagavato arahato sammasambuddhasa Namo dhasa bhagavato arahato sammasambuddhasa Namo dhasa bhagavato arahato sammasambuddhasa buddhāṃ dhammāṃ saṅkhaṃ namasāmi We go to the uh, next talk in this collection. This is called Everything That Arises Passes Away. This is from Volume 3 of the Anthology of Lungphor Samedo's Teachings. Uh, This is uh, Chapter 5 of this book. And this originally comes from the book uh, This Is The Way It Is. It was published in, in about 1990 or 1991. And these talks come from the Winter Retreat of 1988. This is the last part of the the talk, Everything That Arises Passes Away. I'm really shocked and amazed by many religious people, Christians, Buddhists, or whatever, who seem to be ignorant regarding the practice of their religion. Few people seem to have any perspective on religious doctrine and belief and disbelief. They don't bother to find out. They're still trying to describe the indescribable, limit the unlimited, know the unknowable, and not many look at the way that they are. They believe what somebody else has told them. In Theravada Buddhism, monks will tell you that you can't get enlightened these days. There's no way you can even attain stream entry, the first stage of sainthood. Those days are past. They believe enlightenment is such a remote possibility that they don't even put forth much effort to see that all that arises passes away. So monks can spend lifetimes reading books and translating suttas, but believing that they're unenlightened and it's impossible to become enlightened. But then, what's the point of religion anyway? Why bother if the ultimate truth is so remote? Such an unlikely possibility. In that case, we might become like anthropologists, sociologists or philosophers, just discussing comparative religion. So what Lumpur is pointing to here is how um, we can take those kind of, uh, say, communally agreed judgments, and that was certainly the, the case in uh, in Thailand. I'm not sure about other countries, but a uh, uh, hundred years or so ago, it was believed you know, that the age of the Arahants is over and no one can become enlightened these days. Um, and the best thing we can do is to uh, is to make merit. You know, practice the, the study the teachings, practice, and um, do uh, meritorious, wholesome actions, and to um, cultivate good karma, so that then we can be re- reborn in the time when there's uh, the next Buddha, the the Maitreya Buddha has come along, and then things will be much more ripe, and it'll be a, an age of arahants once again. And so that kind of belief was a common, uh, say, common understanding or common perception uh, in Thailand, um, at least uh, a hundred, a uh, couple of hundred years ago. And so uh, great teachers like uh, Venerable Rama Achan Man and his many disciples, like uh, uh, Achan charge and Mahabua and and others, they spent a lot of time and energy saying, oh, you know, this is just an idea, or you know, that uh, if it wasn't possible, uh, why do the the teachings describe? The ways and means whereby we can work with our minds, watch our minds, train the mind, and and re- uh, an enlightenment can be realised, and so that uh, a lot of the the Thai forest tradition. Uh, they, uh, the effort was focused around encouraging people uh, to to realise that you know the the, uh, the idea that the age of uh, of enlightenment is over or the ara, you, know, you can't become an uh, an arahant in these days that's just a, a perception not something that has to be believed and particularly uh, also it was the case in Thailand that it was felt that uh, lay people shouldn't meditate that it was not safe or wasn't appropriate. And again, the, many of the, the forest Aijans spent a lot of time encouraging lay people to practice meditation and to see that uh, the, the Dhamma teaching was as relevant and as accessible to them as to uh, to monastics. And I think similarly in Myanmar, the, um, there was a lot of effort from the 1950s onwards in particular uh, to encourage the lay people to be practicing meditation and not seeing that that, that was something out of their reach or something that they, they couldn't make use of um and uh, uh you know the uh, it's, it's it can be quite say obstructive how we how we can underestimate you know our own abilities our own skills or, or how things are for us even um just because of the way that we 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 name things we say oh you know there's uh, i remember uh, many years ago I was living in a monastery and um there was uh, one of the um uh, the junior monks was uh, was talking with, with some lay people. That, you know, the, the lay people had uh, come to visit, and the Ajahn wasn't about at that time. So the junior monk was talking to to the lay people and they're asking questions about meditation. And um, and this uh, junior monk made made these comments that well, you know, in the in the suttas, in the books, it talks a lot about uh, absorption absorption and jhana. You know, the lay people who had come were asking about those questions. Just as uh, one of the the lay people was here the other day, I think Roman had a question about jhana, and similarly they said "Well, oh, they say, well, what about this? It, you hear so much of what this is, uh, how this is spoken of in the teachings, and how do you relate to that?" And so this junior monk said, oh, "Well, are we, you know, personally, I don't know anything about jhana. I've never had any kind of jhana-like experience. But in, you know, in the books, it says this and this and this." And then um, at that time, then the the Ajahn uh, showed up and. Joined in the conversation, and then after the, the the lay people had gone, he turned to the junior monk and said, you know, what do you mean that you don't know anything about jhana? Don't be ridiculous." And this junior monk said, you know, "Huh? What, what are you talking about?" He said, "Well, you know, you couldn't you couldn't possibly sit as still and as quietly as you do, and and uh, have your your breath go so still. You know, I, I, I sit next to you all the time." <laughs> You couldn't possibly sit that still, uh, still as you do, if you hadn't uh, reached at least first or second jhana. You don't be stupid. And then for that, it was a, a very interesting dialogue because for that junior monk, it's like, oh, oh, really? God. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but, you know, I, me, a swan, yeah, and then the 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 story of the ugly duckling. And it was it was a very interesting dialogue because from from the external point of view, the the ajahn had more experience in these things. He could see that. Well, no, this this person's meditation is quite, quite well established, quite refined. His concentration is quite good. But the the junior monk himself had uh, had sort of had ranked things. in, you know, I, I I'm not I'm not good at jhana, or that's not something I'm interested in. Uh, Ajahn Sumedho doesn't uh, emphasise that. Um, uh, but you know, I, I, I do my best with meditation. I, I I concentrate as well as I can. But you know, it's not jhana or anything like that. And that he he'd been labelling it in that way, and, and sort of regarding the the mind state in, in that way. But from the outside, it looked very very different. So it was uh, not that uh, I want to cause any of you to th- suddenly think, oh, <laughs> maybe I should check with one of the adjuncts and see what see if they can assess me from the outside. So I don't want to feed that particular perception. But to me, it was it was a very um, uh, Helpful dialogue, and uh, in, in, in the context of what Lumpur is saying here, um, it's important to know how we name things, how we how we label um, uh, what what we're doing, how we label how things are, and um, what we take for granted, the the beliefs that we have, the the assumptions that we make, and uh, the 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 kind of um, uh, uh, the labels we put on things, the, the, the form that we give things, because a lot of that can be uh, unconscious. We can be setting limitations or, or seeing things in a particular way. Um, you know, well, that can't be good because it doesn't fit my, my, my preferred way of categorizing goodness, or, uh, or that's, that's irrational because it doesn't match my particular set of preferred beliefs. And, uh, and yet uh, not realizing that, well, what you're calling rational or an irrational is uh, possibly just one perspective. It's not necessarily the whole story. And that uh, uh, this um, way of using investigation and wise reflection on our own opinions, our own points of view, our own beliefs, our own doubts, uh, and uh, seeing how the mind creates those and invests those with value, that, that's a, a very helpful part of the practice and just being able to recognize oh well this is how my mind frames it this is how my mind labels things this is what my mind calls uh, good and valuable and, and says uh, this is what my mind says is uh, yeah, a bit of a waste of time or um, uh, or any of the the various many and various kinds of judgments that the, the mind makes so it's, uh, it's helpful bringing attention to that and then um, And then challenging the the assumptions and judgments that the, the mind makes. So to continue. Gautama the Buddha was one whose wisdom came from observing nature, the conditions of mind and body. That's not impossible for any of us to do. We have minds and bodies. All we have to do is watch them. It's not as if we have to have special powers to do that. Or that somehow this time is a different time from that of Gautama the Buddha. Time is an illusion caused by ignorance. People in the time of Gautama the Buddha were no different from people now. They had greed, hatred and delusion, egos, conceits and fears, just like people nowadays. If you start thinking about Buddhist doctrines, different levels of attainment, you'll just get into a state of doubting. You don't have to check yourself with a list in a book. But just know for yourself until no condition of body or mind deludes you. Uh, As with many of the the Dhamma talks in this book, there are uh, a lot of very uh, insightful comments, um, statements, observations by Lumpur Sumato, And this one simple sentence, Time is an illusion caused by ignorance. You could probably sit on that for the next two or three months. (laughs) Just (laughs) to uh, to let that really sink in time is an illusion caused by ignorance so we can say it's now uh 6:13 uh, in the evening um and it's saturday uh, the 23rd of january we have these these numbers and uh, the sense of passing time i've been uh, reading for about 12 or 13 minutes since this session began and uh, we have a, a, about an hour for these sessions. Uh, we're now about three weeks into the retreat. All these ways of, of framing time. But uh, just taking a, a reflection uh, like this uh, of pause time is an, il- an illusion caused by ignorance. That, uh, that's, uh, so that carries a lot with it. And in this, in this context, talking about how the mind uh, of the minds of people nowadays are really uh, uh, very much the same as the minds of people in the time of Gautama the Buddha. Uh, and along with greed, hatred, and delusion, then minds are also capable of of concentration, of kindness, of compassion, of the cultivation of, of wisdom. And the, the, the Dhamma uh, 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 that was realizable in the time of the Buddha is as realizable in, in a, in a, in a, and is as akaliko, is as timeless, it's necessarily as timeless then, uh, uh, timeless as timeless now as it was then. That if uh, if we take that seriously, that time is an illusion caused by ignorance, and that, that the Dhamma is akaliko, is timeless. How could the, the the Dhamma that is realizable here and now? Could how could that be any different from uh, in any other era? Uh, that. Um, If that fundamental reality of all things is timeless, then time doesn't apply. It's one of those uh, structures built around uh, perception and uh, the conditioned realm that the mind easily believes in and forms, uh, say, perceptions and structures. But uh, it's um, uh, it's one of those things. It's very it's very helpful to see how the the mind creates these fixed and definite limits and frameworks. And, the, uh, and it's the sort of thing when Lumpur Chow would say, you know, you pick up something and say, you know, is this big or small? So if you compare this to uh, the size of the building, this, this little gadget is, is quite small. If you compare it to an atom, it's really big. <laughs> so is it big or small? What is it? And then similarly with time, you can say, um, you know, the, the Big Bang happened 13.8 uh, billion years ago. Was that, a, that? was a long time ago. Well, compared to what? <laughs> and they can say, well, the the universe, uh, uh, ex, you know, expanded incredibly rapidly, and uh, and so from from uh, a, a single point, then the universe expanded from uh, from the big uh, the big bang to how how large it is now, immeasurably vast now, but. Uh, vast compared to what? And we say thirteen point eight billion years ago. Billion years ago. Well, that's a, a long time compared to what? <laughs> or you say, well, the, the the universe expanded incredibly rapidly, so that within the first sort of ten to the minus uh, thirty eight of a second, then the universe expanded to you know to so many meters across in that first uh, microscopic instant. You say, well, ten to the minus thirty eight of a second. That's that's a really short period of time. Is it compared to what? If time had just begun, what, what, we would say, "Well, that's a, that's a really short." I mean, that, that's like a micro, micro, microsecond. That's a really short time, but compared to what? What are you what are you measuring it against? And not to get too lost into <laughs> into astrophysics or particle physics and such like, uh, I feel it's 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 useful to be. Doing these kind of mind experiments, thought experiments, and to say, "Oh, no, that's right." Well, I call this big, I call this small, but is that really the case? That's only because of the conditioning of perceptions. If your if your mind is really bright and clear, and the body is free of pain, how fast does a, an hour of meditation go by? It's just can be can be really quick. If you're uh, uh, say you're aching, and your mind is filled with with miserable states, and is raging about something, or is is anxious about something. Yeah, you uh, and you're you're really in a, a, a middle of a lot of mental turmoil. Uh, you can uh, you can take a look at your at your watch and think, oh my goodness, it's only been seven minutes. What? What? Another fifty three minutes to go till the end of the hour. No, I can't. I can't, yeah. So just those the seven minutes have already felt like an eternity. Uh, so how long is the meditation? <laughs> is it just uh, gone by in a flash, or is it is it an, an eternity? So when Po makes this kind of a statement, time is an illusion caused by ignorance. Uh, I, I feel it's uh, it's really uh, one of those areas to to explore and to see how we take. Uh, identity and time and place to be so fixed so solid i am this person i'm sitting here time is passing it's now 19 minutes and 23 24 25 seconds past six <laughs> uh, we we take these uh, these perceptions as so solid and permanent and, and absolute and a lot of the development of insight is in exactly the the challenging of that and the, the beliefs that we have, the the conditioning of our perceptual processes as as we have them. Also the um within that, and the other comment that lumpur makes here that I would highlight, if you start thinking about Buddhist doctrines, different levels of attainment, you'll just get into a state of doubting. You don't have to check yourself with a list in a book, but just know for yourself until no condition of body or mind deludes you. So that uh, that sense of judging, where, where am I at? Have I have I have I managed to reach first jhana, second jhana? Have I reached dream entry? Have I not? You know, where where am I? Uh, what, what level have I have I reached? Uh, um, and that the um, uh, the the way the mind creates those kind of structures in uh, in solid forms, and and then so easily identifies the, uh, with them. What have I reached? Where am I at? Uh, what have I got? Uh, uh, that subtle kind of conceiving the self creation around those qualities of of experience—they ex- they work extremely fast. They're very very subtle, very fast, very convincing. And so that um, uh, it's—I feel it's helpful. So that Lumpur brings that in, and it's as a very regular theme. So basically, don't bother thinking about it. Uh, uh, those those levels of attainment, just like the junior monk I was talking about, that that uh, you know, after having been told that by the Ajahn, it did have a bit of a ripple effect <laughs> on his mind. Like, oh, wow, oh, well that's something, you know. But uh, that that did subside after a bit. Um, but uh, I I feel that uh, just being ready to recognise that, well, that's a set of structures. Yeah, they have a certain validity, but we don't have to build our life around them. We don't have to make that particularly solid or important that's not, uh, not something that necessarily has to be given a lot of of, of significance and and then it, uh, with that kind of um, uh, relaxed attitude then it's much easier to see when the the, the conceiving mind that manyati, the, the con- conceiving eye making and mind making happens around around that that's that's easier to spot because the the mind is looking at it all in a much more easeful and relaxed way people say to me I can't do all that I'm just an ordinary person a layman when I think of doing all that I realize I can't do it it's too much for me I say if you think about it you can't do it that's all don't think about it just do it thought only takes you to doubt people who just think about life can't do anything if it's worth doing, do it. When you become depressed, learn from depression. When you fall sick, learn from sickness. When you're happy, learn from happiness. These are all opportunities to learn in the world. Keep silently listening and watching as a way of life. Then you begin to understand the conditions. There's nothing to fear. You don't have to get anything sorry, you don't have to get anything that you don't have already, and there's nothing to get rid of. I think this, uh, since this talk was given in 1988, that was before Nike chose the uh, Just Do It slogan for their their trainers, <laughs> their running shoes, uh, but uh, it was also a, 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 a very common expression of them, poor Charles, like, you know, don't think about it, just do it. Don't, don't uh, debate with yourself whether you should or you shouldn't, just do it, just having that uh, readiness to engage with the practice, uh, and to and to as Lumpur puts it here, to be learning from everything. If you become depressed, learn from depression. If you fall sick, learn from sickness. If you're happy, learn from happiness. So then, uh, and then the the culmination of that, keep uh, watching and, and listening as a way of life. Then the 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 more that the mind awakens to that realization, there's nothing that. Has to uh, to be acquired that you haven't got. There's no thing that can be got that you haven't got already, and there's nothing to get rid of that you're you're intrinsically burdened with. The more that the mind awakens to its own nature as Dhamma, then there's nothing to get, nothing nothing to add to the Dhamma, nothing to to um, to shed from the Dhamma. That 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 is a uh, a quality that is is whole and complete uh, in and of itself. So, any questions, thoughts, comments, reflections? Gaspar, want to come and get the microphone?
1: Thank you. Uh, so, I'm just curious um, with respect to the dynamics of awareness during sleep. I just had a, a quick nap. <laughs> um ahead of ahead of this reading and i remember setting the alarm for about 20 minutes and then i fell asleep and when i woke up i was like oh it's like 20 minutes that has passed and the experience was i don't know it's like maybe 2 minutes of sleep so i'm just wondering um uh, in in terms of um uh, what is what is awareness doing in sleep <laughs> if you can comment on that thank you
0: so uh, uh, the um, yeah, there's, there's a few different uh, aspects to that. One is that um, the uh, you, what, what you find in the suttas and also be the, the kind of instruction that uh, that Ajahn Chah would give, is the Buddha says when he was uh, when he was going to go to sleep, he would set in in uh, uh, in mind his the time to awaken. And then lie down on his uh, on his uh, right side, and then mindfully fall asleep, and then the and then would uh, wake up at the time that his mind had had sort of put in place, Um, and so that uh, what you are also describing, uh, um, I I experience that quite regularly with a sort of uh, with a, a a midday nap in particular, and if the mind is just letting go. Uh, usually, if I do that, it's about almost exactly 17 minutes. It's more than 15 and less than 20. The mind uh, sort of dips out of consciousness and then has its sort of whoof goes into a sleep, uh, sleep state and then comes out of that. And often I have that same kind of experience. It's like, oh, well, I'm awake and I feel refreshed. So I probably just uh, yeah, had my 17 minutes of sleep and then I look at the clock and you know, lo and behold that amount of time has has gone by, and that I feel that that's a sort of natural, sort of one quick dip into a sleep sleep cycle to to give the system uh, a a necessary or helpful rest, and then can click back into um, activity. Uh, in a way, it's, it's rather like the, the the camera that you have here, that. Uh, if it's if it's operating and uh, it's doing its recording then the red light is on if it's if it's switched on but it's not recording then the green light is on so it's on it's got its power supply but it's just you know the 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 uh, the recording function isn't happening and so uh, our, our mind uh, body system seems to work in a similar way that the awareness is still present but it's just not engaged uh, during the, the time of a, of a sleep cycle it's very interesting um, if you study the psychology of sleep and although I think just in ordinary everyday circumstances people notice how if you're fast asleep but somebody mentions your name then you know, you'll, you'll wake up very very quickly they don't have to say your name very loudly but uh, they, you know, you'll, you'll wake up very fast or if you um, if you hear a sound that's an unexpected sound um, like a, a knock on the door or something like that. Then again, it doesn't have to be particularly loud, but because it's unexpected, then the, the mind will come out of the sleep state. So the ears are working; the, the system is registering uh, uh, sensory activity, but it's just not engaged at that um, sort of a, a, uh, say uh, personal consciousness level. The uh, when I lived at Bayagiri Monastery, uh, I was for about. Uh, eight years or so i lived in a in a kuti it was, it was a straw made of straw bales and it was quite small and they, the, there was a sleeping platform that was suspended from the ceiling it was like a a, a pointed ceiling and and so uh it had it, it hung from the ceiling by two chains and there was about an eight foot drop from the edge of the sleeping platform down to, to the floor and so all that was in uh, that was sort of Preventing me from rolling off was the two chains, and I'm not very tall; I'm only about five foot eight. So, <laughs> and the gap between the chains was only about, yeah, maybe five feet. So um, it was really interesting how, uh, so, and I would I would climb up a little ladder and then sleep up sleep up there. So I, I lived up there and slept up there for. Um, I mean I didn't live in the pla- on the platform <laughs> I lived in the kuti and I slept up on the platform for seven or eight years maybe nine years and it was very interesting how I could be fast asleep and uh, and if my elbow went over the edge it was I woke up really really quickly I didn't I didn't suffer from any anxiety or sort of feel like oh, I wonder if I'm going to fall off tonight it didn't really sort of come into my mind like that but it was interesting how it, the the signal was extremely clear and acute <laughs> if something uh, there was uh, there was a space underneath an an elbow or uh, or my uh, my foot or whatever it might might be that the the whole system was geared okay you know there's a there's an eight foot drop that uh, you could be making very quickly. I, I never fell off it but um it was uh, it, I felt it was a good exercise in in mindful sleeping so that you're 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 resting and are fully asleep but the body is and the mind are also geared to the situation that that uh, you're you're in so i think that i feel like that's how it works uh, that uh, there can be uh, sleep states where you're is sleeping and so uh, i've experienced that a few times usually um, when doing the what's called the situs practice, like the practice of not lying down to sleep, that uh, sometimes you know the mind goes into a sleep state, and you can you know the breathing changes you know, to to a whole different rhythm, and you know that you're sleeping, but there's a way of full conscious awareness. Oh, the, uh, you know, there's a sense of oh, the, uh, I am sleeping. Um, so that there is a, like a, a, a not being in a dream state, but you know, there's a, a wakeful awareness whilst the, the body is doing its sleeping cycle. So uh, I, haven't not, I haven't had that many times, but a few times, and, and it's quite restful. You know you, you, you do feel fully uh, uh, refreshed at the end of uh, sleeping like that. But it, and it, but it is kind of weird. It's like, "Oh, I'm wide awake. I'm sleeping." And that having those two things side by side. So it's uncommon, and I wouldn't say I, I've, I've uh, developed that in any kind of um, extensive way. But I, I, uh, I get the impression from some comments that Lumpur Cha made um, about his own practice was that he could do that fairly easily, that he could sort of dip into a, a, a sleep state for a short period of time and just sort of switch off and kind of let the, the system refresh itself and then. And then sort of, uh kick into action in the sort of f- full wakeful awareness once again. So just from a few comments that he's made, it seems like he was quite adept at being able to to do that. And and he um, he was uh, very active as a teacher and was often receiving people from uh, and, uh, and engaged in, in activities many many hours a day. And so that ability to have a, a kind of mindful catnap. It yeah, uh, uh, was uh, something that was uh, obviously very, very useful to him. So I hope there's uh, some helpful comments there. Any questions about the the reading or any of the aspects of that? Yes, Anagarika Virginia
1: i was wondering about the phrase um, until your body and mind couldn't delude you um uh, that uh, sometimes it's um could be quite tricky uh, i i find um it it's, um, sometimes it's hard to understand the difference between um action driven by becoming or action um kind of more skillful uh, from coming from dhamma um especially around practice you kind of uh, doing the right thing but then by the results you understand that oh it was definitely achieving becoming and concede <laughs> um so it's kind of you you realize how your mind deluded you only when you already get a quite painful results so to understand it a bit early on <laughs> How to not be deluded by these uh, strong habits of becoming achieving, even if it, in the beginning it doesn't feel like this and, but but by the results you see that it was definitely
0: yeah good uh, good question i think uh, uh, it's certainly in the the early years of of, of dhamma practice it's it's very 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 difficult to to make that um. Distinction. Also, just the habits of, of, uh, of taking everything personally or, or, or coming from a, a very self-based, uh, place of action it is, is very, very common. So one, one example of this that, uh, I often, uh, quote, and it's, it's interesting that, again, if you, if you read Ajahn Chah's teachings, um, is how, uh, when you start doing mindfulness of breathing, It can feel like just breathing is a real, is a real chore. It's really hard work. And by the action of paying attention to the the breath, there's this me breathing. I'm, I'm doing the breath. And just by paying attention to it, it it becomes quite hard work. And you think, wow. And this is, this is how it was for me in the early years of meditation was, oh, yeah, I, I know I've been breathing my whole life, you know, every day, all the time. (laughs) But when I try to concentrate on the breath, it seems like this real, this real kind of hard work. And like, Whoa, have I been doing this every day my whole life? You know, this is this is really a a kind of uh, a chore um, that's uh, that's uh, uh, you know, quite uh, stressful and difficult to, to to do. And so your rational mind says, "I've been doing this all my life," but then the 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 action of paying attention to the breath and trying to follow the breath there's there's this whole lot of me doing it me doing the breath and uh and it was interesting when uh, uh, reading Limpawchar's teachings that when he was a, a young monk or a novice and trying to meditate he had exactly the same kind of experience he would say this you know I used to work really hard on the farm and planting rice and harvesting the rice and looking after the water buffaloes and ploughing with the water buffaloes and that was, that was re- you know, I was breathing all day long, and the br- breathing was nothing, you know, that was really easy, <laughs> that was uh, ne- totally negligible, and now I don't have to look after the buffaloes or, or plow the fields, but just sitting here, just breathing is, is really hard work, this is really, uh, really burdensome, it's really, uh, really stressful. Um, but even though you uh, even though you see that and you recognise, oh, but it's because the sense of me doing the breath or me doing the meditation. Just by by recognising what's going on, that, that that sense of I, the meditator, uh, I'm breathing, I'm watching the breath, I'm I'm working with with the meditation. You can't just snap your fingers and make make that attitude go away. It's like a, the the um, the conditioning for that is very very strong. So, um, so, uh, what uh, what is the best thing to do? I uh, I found is to say, well, uh, look at how much the sense of I, the meditator, you know, me, the one who's 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 meditating, me watching the breath, me me doing the breathing. Look at the effect. Feel the effect that that has. So at least you're you're able to uh, to identify or look at the impact of that selfing. And that the effort coming from me do it, doing the, the breathing meditation, but you can't just break that habit. It's like you're, the accent that you have with your speech, or the way that you walk, or, or the, um, the the kind of uh, conditioning that we have um, with our uh, with with our life, with our our, our, our language, our, our mobility, the way we the way that we work. It, it, those things are deeply conditioned, strongly conditioned, and you can't just sort of decide for them to be different. And and they they change. It's they like, uh, it takes it takes time for things to adapt. And so, um, so it, so for myself in those early years, I would say, well, ideally, you know, the, the mind observes the body breathing, and it's not me doing the breath, but <laughs> they're simply. The awareness of the body breathing, and that the awareness of the breath is not going to change. The, the is not going to change the, the 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 quality of the breath or the rhythm of the breath, and uh, and it certainly will just uh, say know the, the the body breathing comfortably and naturally uh, and easily. But it, to, to be honest, it took quite a few years <laughs> to, to even have that experience once in a while. It was quite a few years of me doing the meditation me doing mindfulness of breath me me the breather rather than here is the uh, here is the body breathing and the mind just letting the 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 breath sort of rest upon the attention like a um i used to use a, an image like a like a if you had a a, a soft feather like a downy feather a little fluffy feather resting on the palm like uh, you should try to let the breath rest upon the attention, like a a downy feather resting on the palm of your hand. Just a creating a mental image rather than me the breather, you know, me doing the breath meditation. <laughs> and uh, so, I would use that kind of um, like a mental image like that, or or just um, naming what was going on. Or here's the impact of me doing the breathing, rather than the the, the body breathing on its own. And the mind being aware of it, me sort of uh, me doing mindfulness of the breath, it ha- it feels like this. So that at least that's being clarified. What what's going on? It's like noticing your accent, or noticing the way that you walk, or noticing a, 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 a habitual form that we have. So that then, over time, by consistently bringing awareness to that or like you're asking about how the making of effort can be free of self-view and I want to get and I want to get rid of at least you're finding your own ways to to, to clarify that Or oh, here's the Evgenia is trying to get something again feeling that's what this is uh, it has this tone this quality this is the me trying to get something feeling or here's the me trying to get rid of something feeling It's it's like this and then and then in the moments where that relaxes, then to, uh, or, or like I would find for myself, like with mindfulness of breathing, when in those moments where, oh, it's just the body breathing on its own and the mind is aware of it, uh, uh, look at that, feel that, know that. And letting that, uh, that be uh, fully conscious or as conscious as possible, what, what, the, what it's like. Uh, when the effort is being applied without that sort of uh, quality of self view and and uh, conceit and such like so that there's a, a conscious appreciation of uh, of how effort can be made free of of that uh, trying me trying to get uh, me trying to become or me trying to get rid of so it is a, a ridiculous amounts of patience are necessary <laughs> more more patience than you'd like to have to use uh, uh, seri- seriously it just it takes uh, like like uh, any like learning any skill like learning a language or or um, a musical instrument or chanting or pali <laughs> Pali language or knitting or you know any kind of skill it takes a long time to 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 develop a skill and um but i I feel that the just getting to know that the, the, the tensing quality of I have to become or I want to become or I want to get rid of. Just getting to know that, that, the bhava feeling. It's almost like you're, uh, recognizing a particular sound or, or a smell or a, or a particular form. It's like, oh, it's that, it's that, <laughs> it's that smell again. I, it's that, it's that taste. I know that taste and that. That uh, that then is being recognised. That that eye making and mind making, that's that's being noticed. And, and the very fact of it being noticed means it can't uh, delude or, or um, drive things in the same way that it normally would. It's like it's, in a way, it's like the "I know you," Mara uh, dialogue from the from the the scriptures, where the, the mind is aware of oh, this is that. I want to become. I want to get rid of. That's what this is—the texture of it, the the taste of it. It, It's—it's that taste again. And so, when it's known, it loses its power to delude. So that you can see it operating. You can't just stop it by an act of will, but at least you know what's going on. You know that—that that that, uh, the effort is being, uh, say, coloured by that, or or, um, or or say. Um, taken over by those attitudes so I hope that's helpful any other thoughts questions Okay, the next talk is called the five khandas so this has got uh, another talk with a a great wealth uh, of Dhamma material in it, so um, I'll just make a start on this today. But um, there's a a lot, uh, a lot of very valuable, wonderful teachings. It's a real treasure house, um, as many of the, the the talks are in this book. Um, and uh, it's chapter six, the Five Khandas. As long as these human bodies are alive and their senses are operating. We have to be constantly on our guard, alert and mindful, because the force of habit of grasping the sensual world as a self is so strong. This is very strong conditioning in all of us. So the way the Buddha taught is the way of mindfulness and wise reflection. Rather than making metaphysical statements about true nature or ultimate reality, the Buddha's teaching points to the condition of grasping. That's the only thing that keeps us from enlightenment. Buddha wisdom is an understanding of the way things are through observing oneself rather than observing how the stars and planets operate. We don't go out looking at the trees and contemplating nature as if they were an object of our vision, but we actually observe nature as it operates through our personal form. So that uh, um say that sense of um, Looking at the way things are, uh, not in terms, of, uh, not belittling the world of, of um, say scientific discovery or, or uh, observing the the, uh, uh, the the planet and the ecosystem uh, around us, but recognizing that you know, when we're talking about uh, uh, the way things are, or studying nature, it's important to recognize that, that we are part of nature. Everything that we are is part uh, part of the natural order, and. Uh, it's one of those those um, things that people often say in in societies. Or oh, I, li- I like to be out in nature, and it's a very sort of common and and um understandable you know, natural thing to say. No pun intended, but to say. But uh, I always feel that. Well, <laughs> how can you get away from nature? Everything that you are, your body, your mind, your, every idea, every emotion, every memory is part of the natural order. So we can't really get away from nature. Every aspect of our experiential process of seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching is all part of nature. Um, we, we can't... Uh, I know what they, when people mean when they mean uh, I like to be out in nature is sort of away from human constructions, like away from buildings, away from towns, away from other people. Um, that's what they they mean when they use that kind of a phrase. But I, I feel it's also uh, a, a way that we sort of divorce ourselves from from nature, or somehow we feel that we are uh, apart from that, or we've got to get um, we, we've been uh, separated from nature, and we've got to to get back uh, into it. And and even though that's understandable, and I, I can appreciate where that comes from, it it's all, it's good to. To look at that perception of, of alienation or that sense of, of otherness, and uh, in, in a way, I feel it's a it's a uh, one of the ways in which the mind grasps at the feeling of self, and. Um, that I, you know, that feeling of I am separate from nature. I want to be reunited with, with nature, or I'm I'm apart from things, and then it it, it reflects itself, or it manifests as a kind of loneliness or alienation that we can experience. And uh, I remember there was a a uh, I forget how I heard the story, but uh, I didn't actually hear this conversation myself, but uh, someone recounted it to me at the uh, the Buddhist Society Summer School. They used to have uh, a, an annual gathering for a couple of weeks. It used to be in a place called High Lee in Hodderston here in uh, Hertfordshire. About a, a 120 people, uh, w- members of the Buddhist society, would gather uh, every uh, every year for a couple of weeks in this sort of uh, very fine um, uh, say building with beautiful grounds uh, in Hodderston. And they would have... Uh, Teachers from the, uh, Theravada traditions Zen tradition, Tibetan tradition, and, and other spiritual teachers like Firoz Meta was often uh, teaching there. And, um, and, uh, the, the people who participated in the summer school, in the summer school would, uh, have different classes and different sessions during the day. And every evening there was a a, 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 sort of plenary talk. Everyone who was there for the, the summer school would gather in the, the big hall and somebody would give a, a um, A talk that was for the whole group to listen to. And they're often very inspiring and uh, eloquent, uh, uh, really wonderful teachers like uh, um, uh, Firoz Meta, I've mentioned before, Um, Trevor Leggett, who's a a Zen teacher, a very, uh, very wonderful uh, teacher. Lumpo would often give Dhamma talks, or Mio Kioni, a Zen teacher from uh, from London. would uh give these evening talks. And so on one particular occasion after the uh, after the evening talk was over, people would often it would be in the summertime, say you know, August or September, and people would spill out of the, the 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 uh the French windows around the main hall and gather in the gardens. And um so on particular occasion, uh after a uh an especially in, inspiring and elevating uh Dhamma talk, a couple of people were out uh, in, the, in the courtyard outside of the, the hall, uh, and one person was looking out, uh, up at the sky and said, "Wouldn't it be extraordinary to be out there amongst the stars, just just so flying through space just with nothing around you other than the kind of vast infinity of the void and these uh, and the, the distant galaxies and stars all around you. Wouldn't that be extraordinary? Would't that be wonderful?" Yeah, The person next to him said, where do you think you are? Oh, right. <laughs> we are flying through space surrounded by remote uh, galaxies and stars. We are in the infinity of the void. We just happen to be perched on the surface of this little blue-green bubble. That's, uh, but we forget that. And so uh, that was a um, one of those uh, unique little conversations that reflects, oh yeah, we get very... Uh, we get very easily focused on our own particular condition and we forget the, the larger context that we are part of that vast natural order uh, and, and that's inescapably the case. What we take ourselves to be can be classified as five aggregates or khandas. Rupa, form, Vedana, feelings, Sanya, perception, Sankara, mental formations or thought processes, vinyana, sense consciousness. They provide a skillful means of seeing all sensual phenomena in groups. The easiest to meditate on is the rupa kanda, the form of your own body, because it's stuck to the ground, heavy, gross. It's a slower moving thing than all the mental phenomena, vedana, sanya, sankara or vijnana. You can reflect on your own body for long periods of time, Meditate on the breath rather than on consciousness, because it's within our ability to concentrate on breathing. Ordinary people can contemplate their own breath. You can contemplate the feeling of your own eyes. They have sensations. Contemplate the tongue, the wetness of the mouth, or your tongue touching the palate in your mouth. You can contemplate the body as a sense organ, giving you the sensations of pleasure and pain, heat and cold. Just observe what the feeling of cold or heat in the body is like. You can contemplate that because it's not what you are. It's an object you can see. You can easily observe, as if it was something separate from yourself. If you don't do that, you just t- tend to react. When you're too hot, you try to get cooler, take off your jumper. Then you get cold and you put it back on again. You can just react to those sensations of pleasure and pain in the body. Pleasure, oh, isn't that wonderful? And you try to hold on to it. To have more pleasure. And pain, oh, get rid of that. And you run away from anything uncomfortable or painful. But in meditation, we can see these sensations, and the body itself is a sensual condition that has pleasure and pain, heat and cold. You can reflect on the forms that you see, just look at something beautiful like flowers. Flowers are probably the most beautiful things on the earth. And so we like flowers. So note, uh, when you look at a flower, how you're drawn to it and want to keep looking at it, being attracted to what is pleasing to the eye. Or look at something that is unpleasant to the eye, say excrement. When you see excrement, cow dung on, cow dung on the path, you politely ignore it. Look at your own excrement. We produce it ourselves and yet it's something that we don't really want to go around showing to other people. It's something we'd rather nobody ever saw us producing. You don't really feel drawn to going to look at it like you would a flower, do you? But we're quite willing to wear flowers, carry flowers around, have flowers on our shrine. It's not that you should find excrement attractive, I'm just pointing out that you can meditate on this force of the sensory world. It's a natural force. It's not bad or wrong but you can meditate on it to see how you tend to react to sensory experiences. When you experience beautiful sounds or horrible ones, pleasant odors or stinking ones, pleasant tastes or unpleasant ones, pleasurable physical sensations or painful ones, heat and cold, meditate on these things. Look and see these things as they are. All rupa is impermanent beautiful flowers are only beautiful for a while then they become repulsive so we observe this natural transformation from what is fresh and beautiful to what is old, ugly I was a lot prettier when I was 20 now I'm old and ugly he was 54 at the time 10 years younger than I am (laughs) an old human body is not very beautiful but it's the body following what it's supposed to do I'm glad mine is not getting prettier. It would be embarrassing if it was. So uh, this is uh, so beginning the uh, uh, reflections on the the five khandas and rupa khanda uh, form. So uh, the rupa doesn't just refer to our own physical body, but the physical form of, of all kinds. And so um, that uh, rupa can be the like say the form of the building or the form of a book or the the, uh, the form of the, the planet and the stars is all some material form that's made up of the the four elements of earth, water, fire and, and wind. And um, the uh, uh, the way that Lampo talking about it also reflects the fact that when we speak of the five khandhas, um, you can't really divide them up completely and absolutely from each other. It's just a convenient way of slicing the pie um, so that you have the rupa... Slice and then the, you know, the, the 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 material form. Slice and then vedana, sensation or feeling, perception, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, uh, mental formation sankara emotions, memories, ideas, in, uh, initiatives, motives, uh, imagination, um, and then sang- uh, and then vijnana, so discriminative consciousness, and so that the uh, uh, it's it's helpful to. Even though we use the um, the, the words sort of quite, uh, and uh, they can be quite specific in some respects, they do overlap a lot. And so, just as in Lumpur's talking about rupa here, then uh, also it's involving uh, perception. You know, the, uh, the 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 form of a flower. You don't know what the form of a flower is as you can see it. So there's <laughs> there's the 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 uh, the aspect of sanya perception there as well, and also every uh, every aspect of the world of form is known through various types of perception. So kaya uh, kaya vinyana, the the body consciousness, um, and uh, so forth. So that it's helpful with on considering understanding the five kundas that they overlap with each other a lot, and. Um, in uh and, and so that rather than say well where does rupakanda end and where does sanya kanda begin and, okay what is uh, the vinyana kanda and how how do they connect how do they overlap and which is which so uh, i'm sure quite a few phd's have been written uh, over the years and probably many authoritative books trying to sort of uh, specify exactly how each of uh, these is is defined but in in many respects it's it's just uh, uh, taking the the word itself. A kunda is like is a lump or a heap. The word aggregate, again, it's one of those Buddhist jargon words that uh, you get used to using. But in ordinary circumstances, aggregate, at least in English, tends to mean a kind of um, small stones that you use for making concrete with. <laughs> it's a kind of uh, building material, um, and that uh, it, so that it's a Buddhist jargon word. But kanda means like a heap or a lump or a pile or a hill, like the, uh, the, the, um, the town in Sri Lanka, kan- kandi comes from the word kanda. It's, it's on a hill. It's up in the hill country. <laughs> it's, a, it's a hilly place. So the word kandi is like where the lumps are in, in the landscape. So it's, it's a very sort of ordinary, everyday, uh, household term. And so the, the five heaps or the five groups. So it's like, like a convenient way of, of dividing up experience, but there is a lot of overlap. In particular, uh, there's a, in one of the suttas in the Majjhima Nikaya, the Vedala Sutta, which is a dialogue between Venerable Sariputta and Venerable Mahakotita. Um, there's, there's two suttas, the great, the greater series of questions and answers and the lesser series, yes, side by side. So it says the Mahaved, Mahavedala Sutta is number 43. I think and the Chula is 44. So anyway, in the, the one the dialogue between Venerable Sariputta and Mahakotita, then there is this question about um about the different aspects of the of the khandas. And then um the question is asked, uh, perception, feeling, and consciousness, are they conjoined or are they disjoined? Are they are they separate? Can you uh, can you completely distinguish one from another, or, or are they do they overlap? Are they conjoined or are they disjoined? And then Venerable Sariputta replies They are conjoined, they are, they're not disjoined, because that which, uh, we, that which we, we feel, we perceive, that which we perceive, we cognize, and you can't completely, uh, discriminate one from, from another. And so, I, I feel that gives us a very good lead on, on the area. And, uh, so rather than encouraging the mind getting lost in, in doubt and confusion about exactly what's the difference between sanya, so, perceiving so how is that different from vinyana if you have eye consciousness ear consciousness nose consciousness tongue consciousness body consciousness and so on mind consciousness how is that different how do you draw the line so just seeing that it's a a it's like if you have a pie or a pizza there's okay how do you how do you slice up the pie you know how how do you slice up the pizza you just take a knife and you slice it into a convenient number of pieces according to the the people are, are there and who might want a piece of pie. And so it's just a, a convenient way of slicing up the, the field of, of experience. So, uh, uh, you know, that, uh, as we have like in, in the uh, Anattalakana Sutta, the Buddha uses the model of the five khandas rupa, vedana, sanya, sankhara, vinnana In the fire sermon, he uses the model of the six senses, I, ear, nose, tongue, body, and mind. So, so it's a six a a six slice pie rather than a five slice pie. But it's just again another convenient way of slicing up the the uh, the field of experience to to uh, explore it and and to reflect upon and to to understand it more fully. So, uh, are there any? uh, the speaking of time being an illusion caused by ignorance is now the illusion of two minutes past seven already, so <laughs> time has gone by, but any final questions, thoughts? Roman, yes, come and get the microphone.
1: Uh, John, I have a question with regards to the relationship of uh, identity in the Khandas. Um, There needs to be continuity, and since there is no self, the selfing requires an energy to create something which doesn't exist. So um, the selfing constantly creates the illusion of self, and that takes some portion of our energy. So how do we relax um, that sort of identity-making? Because those are all processes, the, the consciousness... And so the self thing also is a process. And I wonder how we can which line of inquiry would um, kind of dissipate that energy so that we could see more clearly that the identity is being made and upheld while
0: while it's while our experience is going on. Um, well I think that the short answer is mindfulness and wisdom or mindfulness and wise reflection. So that uh, because the, the the those feelings of of self the ahankara mamankara that they're also just mental formations. You know, it's just a, they're not absolutely real. It's just a, a particular pattern of of uh, of, uh, of attitude that that, that forms for a, a period of time. So the feeling of self is not self. It's another one of the five. It's another aspect of the five khandas that arises and passes away. So that the more that there is the quality uh, of mindfulness and wisdom, and that, that can be supported by uh, concentration and wise reflection and and wise effort, um, the that that is the say the the way that that uh, the self the eye making and mind making habit can be recognised. And then also, and can be then having been recognised, can be let go of. So that it's a, um, um, but also it's going to vary from person to person exactly what is going to be effective because the different sort of channels of of attachment or different ways of grasping are going to vary from one person to another. But generally speaking, the the um, uh, the uh, if as long as there's an, an understanding. There's, like, in a way, the right view. There's the, some, the, the view that, oh, it's easy for the sense of self to form around the five khandhas, knowing that, and that that needs something that needs to be looked out for. And then the, um, the, the, the effort and, and the mindfulness to say, pay attention, to, to follow up on that. Okay, this easily happens. Therefore, uh, pay attention and sustain that attention to, to that. So the, um as it's it's said that uh, right uh, right view, right effort, right mindfulness, that they, they circulate around. Uh, they have a particular importance in, in the practice. There are three elements of the eightfold path that have a specific importance in support in supporting the practice. So, uh, if they are, are say cultivated and strengthened, uh, then that. Uh, the ability to recognise that I making and my making can be noticed more quickly, more effectively, and can be let go of more, more quickly, more quickly and more effectively. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the sense of self is not uh, is not sacred or special in terms of of mental formations. It's just a a uh, particularly um, uh, Uh, Effective at uh, deluding the the mind is particularly so convincing and uh, and uh, sort of deeply rooted as a habit. But it's just another. The feeling of self is just another, uh, just another uh, mental formation. Uh, Speaking of sleep, Gaspar had that question about sleep. One of the the things I I point out as a way of getting a perspective on this that's not even really related to meditation so much is that uh, most people have the experience. Of, uh, of uh, particularly if you have a nap during the middle of the day when you have that kind of a, a short but, but deep sleep that when you wake up you don't know where you are have you ever had that experience? so have you ever had the experience where you don't know what you are? that you wake up and, and you don't know what you, you, the mind is awake but you don't know what you are So it does happen from time to time. And you, uh, uh, so Sister Jayavira is nodding. You I certainly had it a few times. uh, The the mind is awake and you don't know what you are and you have to reassemble the person. It's like, oh. (laughs) Uh, And in that moment, there isn't a sense of self. The mind is awake, but there isn't a, there isn't a me there. And then just like remembering where you are, you have to, oh, right. Okay, the curtains. Oh. Oh right, I know it's Amravati. Uh, that from time to time the whole sense of self is uh, is not formed, and uh, that and it's it's a very uh, say natural and um, say, uh, uh, kind of ideal opportunity to see how oh the sense of the sense of I isn't permanent. It's not substantial. The mind can be awake, can be fully aware, but not having a, a me there. You can there's visual objects and sound and so on, but the sense of me, this person, has to be you know, reassembled, put together, and uh, so that that's a, like an everyday example of of seeing how that the sense of I is just another mental formation that, but it's particularly convincing. <laughs> And, uh, and, uh, because of the depth of, of grasping and attachment to that, then it's, uh, it's, it's hard to, to see. It's hard to, to recognize and hard to appreciate. Okay. So let's, uh, leave it there for today.